Before we get started today, have you guys realized that we're going to be having some new neighbors right here? I don't know if that makes me really sad or just kind of sad, but our house is just like two houses down, right? So these same windows that are on this side, like go right into our backyard. So we're kind of sad in the Reed household. It's like, yeah, people can literally like, because it's the second story too, there's like two or three windows. They literally look right down into our yard. More long within the next five, ten years, this whole neighborhood. So we are going to be looking at Isaiah 55 this morning. Our passage is in here. Can I ask somebody to actually read this for us this morning as we get going? Any real volunteers first? I will. Thank you, Laura. The whole thing? The whole thing. Just 13 verses. Alright. Isaiah 55, 1-13. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations so that you do not you shall call nations that you do not know. And nations that do not know you shall run to you, because the Lord of your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. <clears throat> Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose." Or which I purpose, and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the, <clears throat> instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, be with us as we dive into your word a little bit, looking at Isaiah 55. Lord, help us to learn more about this passage, and more about this invitation, and this feast that's talked about here. And then we pray. Amen. So as many of you know, um, I have a larger than average complex of FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. I'm not sure if this has to do with my extreme extroversion, or some like childhood memory that I've just like blocked out. But either way... It's a real-life struggle, as my wife can attest to. So for me, to be invited to something, especially something I don't think I'm going to get invited to, or at least I'm on the fence about, it's kind of a big deal. So I want to tell you a story as we get started this morning. Five years ago, Chelsea and I got invited to um, a Christmas party. Now, none of you know who the couple is, 
But at the time, we were going to church at their church, and this Christmas party, we went just last week, celebrate its 11th year, and it's a serious party. Literally, invitations go out in, like, February, and the latest, like, June, to make sure you don't miss out and you don't have this. But it's kind of an exclusive party, too. There's no more than just a few couples that get invited each year. So I remember the very first time we got invited, Chelsea and I, Kyra was, oh, just three or four months old, and we just moved into town, just started going to their small group. And we got the invitation to the summer's Christmas party. So we made every effort to go. We show up, of course, with our toddler in hand, and realize <clears throat> this is a no-kids party. And so that was a fun experience. First party, everybody's a little older than us as well. I think we were definitely the youngest ones. Everybody had been going to this party for six years. I mean, from the very beginning. So we're like, it's over. We're, we're not getting invited again. But you know what? The second year, we got an invitation again. So we were all lined up. We got a babysitter, which early days of, of parenting Kyra, we didn't do that often. But we did. Babysitter gets sick. The day of, or something. I forget exactly the situation. So, Chelsea stays home. I end up going to the party, right? And I'm the only one that's not with a couple. And they were doing, like, a couple games, a couple interaction. <laughs> so it's like, okay, this is definitely, we're never going to get invited again. But we keep getting invited every year. And still to this day, we don't really see these people too often. We no longer go to the same church as them. But we still get invited every year. I don't know. It's a part of me. Maybe it's that I don't have to do any work for this party. And if you know the reads, we love having people in our homes. And we love like that hospitality piece of it. But sometimes it's nice just to go. And so that's one of these parties, right? And so I don't know why I like it. It could be the FOMO. It could be just that. But it feels good, right? Maybe you were taking good gifts. Oh, that, no, no good. They actually, they actually just give you gifts. Yeah. So it's hard to be left out, but to be honest, this is kind of a petty example, if you think about it. Think about getting kicked out of your homeland, <coughs> sent in exile, and told by another ruler who you didn't align with culturally, lifestyle, or your God, what to do, how to live your life. Talk about a really the sting of missing out. This happened day after day, month after month, year after year, generation after generation for the exiled Israelites here. So this passage that we're looking at falls kind of what they call second Isaiah. Isaiah is kind of broken up into three sections. The second section happens between uh, chapters 40 and 55. This is at the tail end of that. And this is a very hopeful passage out of exile, for those, sorry, in exile. It was written probably around 540 B.C., again, at the very tail end, right before the people were going to be going back to their homeland. To those in exile, right at the very end. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go back through our passage here and kind of look at some of these verses, especially the, the beginning and the middle of this passage, and kind of look, work through that, and um, we'll go from there. But I want to read verses 1 through 2 again for us. We'll talk about these more specifically. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. What a proclamation you start out. The Hebrew word for that, we translate, ho, oh, whatever, is a call. It's like, this is big. This is a proclamation. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money. 
By the way, money wasn't really a big part of it, so just in case they were unfamiliar with this concept because they didn't use currency, it was just getting started in this era and this time without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. See, this call of hope and this invitation to the feast it doesn't come with a charge. It's completely free. And not just completely free, it's good. It is good. This is not a gimmick. This has no catches with it. This is hope-filled feast. And this feast symbolizes God's abundant love. You get this so much in Scripture. This idea of feasting symbolizing God's abundant love. And we must remember that it's not exactly how much you consume in the feast. It's not about the food itself. But what does it foster? What does this feast really have to do with? We get a sense even in Isaiah, if you go back a few verses, a few chapters here. Chapter 25, the writer says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. This is a glorious feast, where again, it's not necessarily about the food itself, but your company, about the people you gather with. So I want to tell you another story, that while researching for this and looking it up and preparing, I came across an organization out of Philadelphia. It's a uh, parachurch organization that for years and years have fed the homeless. We have many organizations like this in Nashville. But what they found year over year is that they were missing something. Yes, they were filling a need, but they wanted to do something more instead of just fill the belly. They wanted to fill the soul without being overtly in your face like Bible thumping to them. So what they decided to do is to create a meal, not just once a month or once a year, but all of their meals, where they would invite everybody. Not just the homeless, not just the person downtrodden, but everybody. So here's what they did. Each time they do this, and it happens multiple times a week, they send out their employees or other people, uh, volunteers that are associated with their organization, and they go out to different parts of the city. It's like they draw out of a hat. Where are you going to go today? Okay, that Fortune 500 company downtown. The next person draws a hat. Okay, that suburban neighborhood. Next person, that uh, the gay nightclub downtown. This next person, literally every cultural, ethnic, religious thing they get an invitation, it's a handmade invitation, to come share a meal together. And what's cool about this, they call this the most dangerous meal. Why is this dangerous? Because when you get a group of people together that usually would never associate together, it can be dangerous if you think about it, because you don't know what could happen. But here's what they found over years of now doing this. They have discovered the less people have, those homeless, those downtrodden, those marginalized by our society, they're more than willing to say, yeah, sure, I, I would love to come to this meal. You know the hardest people to get to come to this meal were? Those people who had everything. Now some of them still come. Those CEOs of a Fortune 500 company, they've received invitations. Rarely do people like that come because they don't see the need. I, I don't need this meal. But see, 
this organization was much more about feeding the homeless anymore. It was creating a community. It was creating what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And so, I don't know, it just, it just amazed me that, um, I don't know, the correlation between our passage here, this feast is much more than just for the downtrodden. This feast is for all. So let's continue looking here a little bit. All right, verse 3 says, Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make you, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Everlasting covenant. This will be the new covenant and one where God will be moving all his chips in on. One where we truly see the connection between our exiled friends over here, where our passage is about, and the season of Advent we're in right now. See, in Jesus, God helped create the new covenant. Whereas Paul says in Romans, we are no longer under the law, the whole covenant, but under grace. And according to Hebrews 7.22, it says, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant, and one that's full of love. Right? So while this new covenant is seen through the prophetic eyes of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, the, the, the stories of, of our prophets that uh, are just, we, we soak them up, right? I'll create a, a new heart within you. Take out the heart of stone, I'm going to put in the heart of flesh, as Ezekiel says. Jeremiah, Isaiah here. It's not until Jesus comes and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we truly see what it looks like. <coughs> And begin to see the fulfillment of this everlasting covenant, this new covenant. And where we can see this today, and what we're called to, right? To take up that mantle of Christ and invite everyone to the feast. Where bread and water don't quench, but where Christ's love and grace and mercy does quench. And this is just not the end of time, like the eschaton at the very end. This is for the here and now, too. See, this feast is not, we, we sometimes think of this as, this at is in heaven, right? This is after the second coming. No, we're called to feast now, the here and now. It's very important for us to, to kind of get a grasp on it. So let's read verse 5. Verse 5 says, See, you shall call nations that do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you. You shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. See, this calls not just for family and friends, and those we feel comfortable around, those people like us, but it's for all of God's creation. And we see this in verse 6 and 7 too. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, all are invited to return to the Lord, even those who are hopeless and in exile. The wicked and the unrighteous are all called to return to him. God wants to give us that same mercy and to give us a pardon. But we still have to just accept the invitation to the feast. Just like the organization in Philadelphia. There was no gimmicks. There was no secret thing that they were going to try to sell you on or try to give, you know, have you give money. They simply wanted to invite people to a meal. God's the same way. There's no gimmicks with this. It's out of God's full love. And 
to go a little, even a step further, verse 8 and 9, I think, makes this even more abundantly clear. Whereas we may think this isn't fair, the Lord further explains things in verses 8 and 9, like I said. He lets us in on a little secret, too. <laughs> and the one we should already know, right? Our thoughts are not His thoughts. But so often we don't act like that. We act like we know exactly what God's thinking and His ways and His plans. So again, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This should be a breath of fresh air to us. While we seek as people vengeance or payment or fairness, God abundantly pardons. God forgives the unrighteous. If we really think about it, this makes us feel very, very small. Because our thoughts are not God's thoughts. We have a, such a tiny context and a tiny brain. <laughs> so while looking at this, um, I've seen this picture before, and I want to show it to you. Now, it's kind of a you know it's a small picture anyways, but I want you to look at it. Now, I'll set this up by saying this picture right here is known by many as the most important picture ever taken in the history of man's existence. I'm going to show it to you one second. I'm trying to build it up for you here, right? Not Bigfoot. No, not Bigfoot. I was showing Emily this earlier. She's trying to guess a few times what it was, right? Now, if you've seen it, and if you think you know what I'm talking about, don't, don't give it up just yet. Don't yell, yell it out, right? But I want to show it to you. You see it? Do you know what, do you know what it is? This, by many, is considered one of the greatest photographs ever taken. And if you're wondering, well, your printer's a little pixelated, Kevin. It didn't do a good job. No, that's actually the picture. The picture is very pixelated. And it was meant to be that way. The reason is, the thing you're looking for is 0.17, sorry, 0.17 of a pixel. It didn't even make it to an entire pixel for the, for the photograph. Do you see it? Do you see the small dot? They call it a small, uh, very exactly, pale blue dot. It's right there. You know what that is? That's Earth. Not a painting photograph. That's the Earth. You can come see it later. If you look very, very closely, 0.17 of a pixel. This was taken by Voyager 1 in 1990. As one of its last things, um, some scientists convinced NASA to have Voyager turn around one last time and take these thousands of photos toward Earth. Just by chance, they would get the sunlight and there's something to do with the gravitational pull of Saturn too, to have it just right that they could get one more glimpse of Earth. That's where we live. Just this <coughs> little, little dot. And by the way, that's only from Saturn. <laughs> Think of the expanse of the universe. So I want to read something to you that 
the um, astronomer scientist Carl um, Sagan said. Yeah. <laughs> we succeeded in taking that picture, this picture right here from deep space, and if you look at it, you see a dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it. Everyone and you've ever heard of, every human being who's ever lived, lived out their lives here. The aggregate of all of our joys and sufferings, thousands of competent religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilizations, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every hopeful child, every mother and every father, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Man, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. So much we can gain from that if we truly embrace that. We struggle as people thinking we know exactly what's going on and exactly how things should be and exactly how we should interact with people and step over them and to feel better about ourselves. But to God, we mean so much to Him and yet we're just a tiny minuscule dust speck. That's our entire world. So verse 11 says this to him. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And we're wrapping up this morning. Why do we do the things God calls us to? If we're so tiny and we don't, of course we matter, but if we're so insignificant in the big cosmos, right? Why do we proclaim Christ? You know why? It's because the Word does what it says. This invitation to the feast, God does that. God actually invites us to this. It's not just rhetoric. It's not just words. God does what He says He's going to do, and we are called to proclaim that as Christ ambassadors. This is not an empty promise to people to just get them excited for a little while. God is all in with this tiny speck. Get that? He's all in with us. And I think this is very important for us to remember in Advent. He went all in. He wants to feast with us. And he wants us to realize that it's not just what's on our plates again, but it's who we're eating with. Jesus, God's Son, chose to feast with even the least of these. Meaning everyone. The least of these and the greatest of these. And how we term it. So as we transition this morning into taking the Eucharist, sharing a meal together as we do each Sunday, 
And then as we go out and invite our neighbors to a meal and a celebration we're going to have in one week for Christmas Eve. Let's not forget that God has invited us to a grand feast. And we don't have to wait till the end to sit at the table. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage. For nobody else but for me, God. To realize that you care so much about this tiny speck of a place. You went all in, God. Help us to go all in for you, always, and to be a Christ-like representation in every aspect of our lives, and especially as we interact with our community, those around us, our loved ones, our family, but even those who are very different from us.